You've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to episode 241 of the Black Man with a Gun podcast, sponsored by CrossbreedHolsters.com. Sister and your mama too, cause they're about to go down and you know just what to do. Wave your hands in the air like you don't care. Lied by the people as they start to look instead. Do your dance, do your dance, do your dance quick. Mama, come on baby, tell me what's the word, a word up. Everybody say when you hear the call, you got to get it underway. Word up. It's the code word. No matter where you say it, you know that you'll be heard. Now all you sucker DJs who think you fly, there's got to be a reason. And you know the reason why. Why you put on those airs and act real cool. But you got to realize that you're acting like fools. If there's music, we can use it, we need to dance We don't have that time for psychological romance No romance, no romance, no romance for me, mama Come on, baby, tell me what's the word, the word up This week on the Black Man with a Gun podcast Ms. M, Barbara Baird, Makaroffs, a new store Zombie Strike number 103 and our Halloween edition coming up next. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Black Man with a Gun podcast. I'm your host, Ken Blanchard, and I want to confess the reason I picked that song was I was kind of thinking about 1982 and 1983 when it came out, and I was working on some notes for my next book. I'm trying to do kind of a story of how I become or how I became the Black Man with a Gun, and uh, it put me in a in a mindset. And then the first stanza past the owl of that song um, says y'all pretty ladies around the world and I had just finished last week's show 240 with a tribute to the ladies in my life so it just kind of connected all these pieces were just connected in my head so the synapses were firing and that's what came out I changed up the order but um, I'm still here I'm still your friend and your brother from a different mother Reverend Ken Blanchard pastor of Patriots pistoleros and paladins and you can reach me 24 hours a day seven days a week whenever you need me here at kenandblanchard.com blackmanwithagun at gmail.com for email or you can call and leave a message a complaint a prayer request 
anything, 888-675-0202. Got a couple of new things I got going on this week. I've been working a lot. Well, I haven't stopped working for a while, actually, but that's going to change. I got a vacation coming. Me and the wife going to sneak away. Yes, we are. And uh, I'm going to work all that out so that there is a show in my absence. Not sure how that's going to work. I'm going to make it, though, so you can't even really tell I'm gone. How about that? I'd do that for you. Yeah, I would. Anniversaries. You know, this, this week marks the 28th anniversary of the death of 248 Marines in Beirut when their barracks was blew up by a suicide bomber. I lost some friends that day. And I was uh, in another part of the world. And in thinking of it, the whole thing, I started writing down notes that I'm going to put in a new book of Black Man with a Gun. It's going to be more than just a how-to. I'm going to actually put in some parts of my life. I'm going to fill you in on how I got to where I am and uh, just let the chips fall where they may, you know? Just going to keep it real. This might be an interesting book for a few people. Uh, if you've been following me for the last couple of years, you know a lot about me. This is going to add even more depth to it, and hopefully you still like me when I'm through. But if you want to hear like the first few pages of it, it starts off like this. The Rolling Stones was playing Start Me Up into my headphones. Really, too loud. But I liked it. I had that new portable cassette player that was all the rage in the 80s. I had the waterproof version that was slightly lighter than a brick and close to the same size, but the color of a bumblebee. I needed a song like that to get me going. I was one of the few Marines that actually hated to run, and we ran everywhere. I was in the best shape of my life, but I didn't realize how important that was going to be a few minutes from now. The door of our house slammed shut and I hoped it cut off the flow of mosquitoes that managed to get in to the mansion that we lived in. I lived in Lago Sul, an exclusive area a few homes near the man-made lake in Brasilia, Brazil. And what a time I was having. When I arrived to this embassy, I didn't realize how blessed I was. This was one of the best kept secrets in the whole U.S. military. A group of Marines and myself protected the ambassador, American citizens, and the property of the U.S. Embassy here, smack dab in the middle of Brazil. The place I just walked out of was bigger and more elegant than anything I'd ever lived in to this day. I was 19 years old, already a corporal, and living large. It had been a heck of a ride. When I arrived in the airport, the detachment was going through a racial issue. The house was divided. I'm not quite sure what started it, but some had hoped that the new corporal named Blanchard was Cajun, like our detachment commander. I disappointed half the group and made the other group cheer. It was an odd welcoming but I soon learned why it happened. 
Somehow the strife had become intolerable, and I had an appointment with the ambassador before I could unpack my sea bag. He wanted to see where I was going to fit into the situation or send me back home. I'm not sure what I said or what I did, but we hit it off great after the first five minutes. He even nicknamed me Bubba and called me to accompany him on all types of functions. And it did a couple of things. It introduced me to heads of state, dignitaries, and leaders early in my life and allowed me to see how the other half lived. And it also raised my profile as an American citizen living abroad. Unlike the other Marines, I was seen with the ambassador. Sometimes I was like his driver or his bodyguard, and other times like his son. I think it was the latter that got me into trouble. I was new to the world of terrorism. I had the classes taught by State Department. I had read the required reading. I had missed a point that could possibly be of interest. That was that me being abroad was a person of interest. By the time the Stones had finished their hit song and Rick James was cranking it up for my mixtape, I had failed to notice the white van parked on the corner when I left the house. The Brazilian sky was blue and cloudless. I was running in red nylon running shorts, shoes and no shirt. I was three miles from our embassy. It was all uphill and I had to cross the lake and a highway to get up to the Avenue of Nations. But I could do it in about 20 minutes. It was my goal to run in, catch a ride back with one of the Marines getting off duty, and enjoy the rest of my day off. This was the first of my couple of days off, and I was a little tired. The bass and my headphones were battering my eardrums, but I liked it. The air was dry. You could smell the alcohol that was used in the vehicles here. It was like running after you shaved and somebody slapped cheap aftershave on your face. It kind of burned. A white van drove up behind me and paced me for a minute. The dark-haired guy smiled at me and our eyes met. I thought, damn, I'm in a country full of some of the most beautiful women in the world. And here I am attracting the gay guys. I'm going to have to start wearing my T-shirt from now on. I ignored the dude and turned back to my music. Where are the women, by the way, in this country? Sure wasn't enough of them in the embassy. The van sped away and I entered the first big hill leading to the highway. The van stopped short of the stop sign at the top of the hill before the highway and put on the emergency lights. It was then that I remembered that the van was present when I left the house a few songs ago. It was then that I remembered the ocular exchange over the bridge with the strange guys that I thought were checking me out. When the van pulled over and one of the guys got out, it dawned on me that I might be in danger. I have since learned that there are many steps in a kidnapping or a terrorist incident. Usually, there is a recognition stage where the bad guys double-check their target. I turned off the cassette player and tried to sort this out. 
The sound of my feet slapping pavement was all I could hear with my heartbeat. And they were in sync. I tried to rationalize why I was not and couldn't be a target. I was just a little country boy from Virginia that grew up in Maryland. I was into art, dancing, motorcycles, and animals. I had joined the Marines hoping they would either kill me or prove my father and stepfather wrong that I was tough enough. I had excelled in the Marines. I had been meritoriously promoted from boot camp all the way till now. I was a non-commissioned officer and I couldn't even legally drink in California. I wasn't anybody but, but wait, I was the ambassador's friend. I had gone fishing and camping with the top four guys in the embassy. I had been to exclusive dinners. I did look like I was somebody. Oh, crap, I thought. Okay, what's the situation? I got a driver and a guy waiting for me to pass them at the top of a hill. It'll be the easiest place to grab me because I will have the highway ahead. I would just be coming up the hill. It was a choke point. If there were some people or more people than I could see in the van, I was done. My mind raced for a solution. The only thing I could think of was that old cartoon featuring a chicken hawk, a dog, and a rooster. Somehow the rooster ran into traffic, avoiding getting hit by cars and getting away. That was my plan. I took several deep breaths and slowed down as I approached the hill. My plan was to save my strength for when I got right next to the van and then sprint like an Olympian going for the gold into oncoming traffic. I pretended I was still listening to my music and smiled as I approached the white van. There was still the possibility that I was wrong and that nothing was going to happen. I was cool with the idea until I saw how the smiling guy changed his stance and watched me approach. When I saw the little puffs of smoke coming out of the tailpipe, I realized they were waiting for something and weren't having car trouble. When the smiling guy said something, I put my head down and kicked it in the high. I shot past him like I hadn't even been running. The adrenaline dump into your system when you think you're about to die is an amazing feeling. I made it to the center of the road before the white van and crew were able to merge into traffic. The sound of horns behind me told me that they were trying to get me, but I was dodging cars and inadvertently causing them to cross in front of the van, making it swerve into other cars. I made it to the Avenue of Nations and I was still sprinting uphill when I saw my roommate driving an embassy station wagon turning toward me on his way home. I heard the van roar as it turned left and came up behind me. I zigzagged across the street and then ran into the hardly prickled grass, whatever that stuff was, hoping my buddy saw me. He did, and also pulled over. We met, and I dove into the passenger seat, explaining what was going on, and he never missed a beat. We did a 180 that helped my bottom find the seat cushion and left the white van in our rear view until we got through the gates of the Embaixada Americana de Estados Unidos. I alerted Post 1, and the gate was shut behind us as I rushed to Post 1, where I needed to run no more. I was home, and a den of devil dogs were coming. We were put on lockdown, and not allowed to run or travel for several weeks. I was debriefed by a couple of guys I didn't even realize were in the embassy. I didn't even know or care about the world of espionage until that day. The white's van passengers looked a little dark for Brazilians and appeared to be from the Middle East, but I wasn't sure. What did I expect? I 
thought they were just queer for my gear at first. I didn't know what I had seen. But here I was saved by a cartoon. A few days later, a bomb killed 241-plus Marines in Beirut, Lebanon. I remember all of that this week. Word. So, I got some editing to do and uh, got some more stuff to add in there. And I'm going to fill in the blanks between that point and right about now in my life as the black man with a gun. What do you think? Think anybody read it? We'll be right back. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget, crossbreedholsters.com. Dabs <laughs> in the Woods. From womensoutdoornews.com's Barbara Baird. Hey, Black Man with a Gun. This is Barb Baird, Women's Outdoor News, and I'm on location somewhere near Branson, Missouri. Walnut Shade. I think that's close to Evening Shade, where they did the television show. I'm not sure. Anyway, I'm out here on location at a range at Ozark Shooters Complex, and I am with Matt Rice, who is... Now, he told me like three different titles, and I completely <laughs> forgot. What are we calling you today, Matt? I think we're going to go with Marketing Consultant for uh, Blue Iron Communications. That, yeah. that, that'll work for okay, that sounds. I thought that sounded the most prestigious, <laughs> and you're out of Norman, Oklahoma. Yes, we are. We're out of Norman, Oklahoma, a small PR company, but we've got a lot of clients in the outdoor hunting, fishing, camping industries. Well, small PR with big clients. That right? is true. I say small. I guess I'm you understand what I'm going yeah, with on that. But, yeah, I we've do. got a lot of uh, very nice clients, everybody from Smith & Wesson to Ranger Boats. Uh, work with a lot of uh, non-endemics, uh, Rocky Mountain Owl Foundation, Boone & Crockett, Dallas Safari Club. So we're really across the board with who we work with and with the niche markets we provide. Yes, and today you're here with Smith & Wesson and Coleman. Yes, we are. Uh, we're out here at the shooting day. Uh, Smith & Wesson's got some great products out on oh, the yeah. line, and Coleman's doing a little tailgate party because it is OU Texas. And uh, being from Oklahoma, right. uh, we, we can't pass on the opportunity to watch the Longhorn. And camping. it's a good day. You've got it your is a good day. I think it's TV like 55, 17 right now with a couple minutes left. So uh, everybody's got a smile on their face. Uh, we might have to uh, start hiding the ammunition if the score would have been reversed. Oh, but right, I right. think we'd be okay. Okay, then we'll <laughs> say, uh, I guess that's why we got you away from the game with the 55 to 17. But tell us a little bit about you did something real special this morning for the ladies. You know, we're all about women and shooting, women's outdoor news, and black yeah. man with a gun. and. The last uh, three or four years working with Siopa, we've done a uh, special ladies shoot uh, in prior to the big shooting day that they hold with all the riders and the corporate members. Uh, but the ladies shoot is real special. It's actually something that they've started requesting from us everywhere we go. Uh, it's a great opportunity for these ladies to get out on the line. Some of them have never even picked up a handgun before. Some of them have very basic shooting instructions, but uh, it's a great opportunity for them to get out. They get to shoot uh, almost every Smith & Wesson we think fits that market of the self-defense, home protection. So we're talking J-Frames, uh, the new Smith & Wesson Bodyguard, of course the M&P line. Uh, so it's a lot of hands-on time, and uh, they seem to really love it. And we love doing it too, because 
uh, that interaction with first-time shooters and watching their enthusiasm, it just makes you realize why we got into doing That's right. This. That's there's nothing better. And I heard that you even pulled out a little special black number today. On, I, you might have caught me on the black number. <laughs> the Tanya Judici told me that <laughs> took out a little, was it M&P 22 in the black rifle model? Yeah, we did. We had a uh, we had the, one of the black guns out there. Is that the, a secret? Uh, the, no, not a secret. You just kind of caught me off guard. I did, yeah. We I had that it. on the side of the range, and we were showing the ladies the new M&P 1522 from Smith & Wesson, but it wasn't one of the guns we were focusing on. But as it sat there on the table and we worked through all the other guns, everybody's eyes kept focusing on that gun over yeah, there. So we had to get it out there and shoot it. And boy, I think it was a good thing. It was a hit. The faces lit up, and they just didn't, they'd forgotten, I think, how much fun a 22 is. All right. Well, hey, thanks for doing that. And it, okay, so hands down, the favorite gun this morning, or is there uh, one? Or? You know what? It really impressed me is I think that Bodyguard 380. Everybody okay. was really loving that gun. Um, the trigger pull on it is a second strike capability, so it's a little bit longer than some of the uh, M&P guns. But boy, I saw some very impressive shots. And then when you throw that uh, incorporated laser in there to it, uh, that really turned some heads. So I between think that and then that M&P 1522 were, were certainly the uh, the most sought-after guns we had on the line. Okay, well, let's go over and uh, may I shoot some of them now? Sounds good. Let's okay. put them right down range. Hey, thanks. And hey, Black Man Gun, this is Barb Baird, SIOPA uh, Conference with Matt Rice, Blue Heron Communications. Thanks. Thank you, Barbara. Man, it's just nice to hear from her. She's always doing something cool. That was Matt Rice of Blue Heron Communications. It's the 25 Fall Fun Drive. I'm asking you to support your friend and brother from a different mother, Ken Blanchard, with a one-time $25 donation to help the black man with a gun survive with a 25-ball fun drive. Red Ken helps a lot of people on and offline and could use your financial help this month with a one-time donation of $25. Go to KenBlanchard.com for the link. Checks can be mailed directly to Ken Blanchard at P.O. Box 2, Upper Marlboro, Maryland, 20773, or find the link on Black with a gun.com Bad Moon Rising Read about it at Derek-Ward.com Hey, I want to thank everybody for checking out this week's show and uh, I wasn't too scary, but hey do what you can, right? I want to share a story with you that Listener sent to me, he said uh, this happened a while ago in Dublin, Ireland. And even though it sounds like an Alfred Hitchcock story, it's supposed to be true. John Bradford, a Dublin University student, was on the side of the road hitchhiking on a very dark night and in the midst of a storm. No cars were traveling that night. The storm was so strong he could hardly see a few feet ahead of him. Suddenly, he saw a car slowly coming towards him and stop. John desperate for shelter and without thinking about it, got into the car and closed the door, only to realize there was nobody behind the wheel and the engine wasn't on. The car started moving, slowly. John looked up the road ahead and saw a curve approaching. Scared, he started to pray, begging for his life. Then, just before the car hit the curve, a hand appeared through the window and turned the wheel. John paralyzed with terror watched as the hand repeatedly came through the window, but never touched or harmed him. Shortly thereafter, John saw the lights of a pub appear down the road, so gathering strength, he jumped out of the moving car and ran to the pub. Wet and out of breath, 
he rushed inside and started telling everybody about the horrible experience that he just had. A silence enveloped the pub when everybody realized he was crying and he wasn't drunk. Suddenly, the door opened and two other people walked in from the stormy night. They, like John, were also soaked and out of breath. Looking around and seeing John Bradford sobbing at the bar, one said to the other, Look, Patty, there's that bloody idiot who got in the car while we were pushing it. HoggerWatches.com In the northwestern city of Maryland, known as Hagerstown, a new watch company begins. The watch is called Hogger. It is designed by a U.S. veteran, a watch aficionado, a patriot that wanted to leave his mark in history, offering a quality watch for the active person that didn't break the bank. Automatic movement, water resistant to three atmospheres. The Commando features a unique fighting knife logo on the back and the Urban Commando look. It's not too big and looks at home both in the office or in the field. Hogger Watches. Com. Get yours today. And hey, here's a special deal. If you're thinking about getting a Hogger watch for the holidays, for a special occasion, for Memento, get it on HoggerWatches.com and use the coupon, the discount code of REVKIN, and you'll get $15 off additionally and a free watch band. Speaking of Hogger watches, check out the new site at BlackManWithAGun.us, BlackManWithAGun.us. It's the new online store for everybody who supports the show. Ms. Zim, welcome back to the Black Man with a Gun podcast. Hello, darling. What's new with you this week? Oh, darling, I have a very interesting morning today. Oh, what happened? Yes, well, I get up about oh, 8 o'clock and uh, I turn on uh, a TCM. It's a Turner Classic Movies. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yes, yes darling. And uh, there was this movie called, oh, let me think. It was uh, The Land We Love. It was 1943, star Maureen O'Hara and uh, Charles Lofton. Oh. And, oh, darling, all I did was the last 20 minutes, darling. But it was about uh, this man in a friend uh, during the WW2. And, uh, you know, darling, in the friends, the, the Germans, they occupied uh, the friends and the government was called the Vichy government. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, darling, it was about this man, uh, Charles Lofton, who was a school teacher and he's in love with Marino Herrera. And uh, at the very end of the movie, and I only get the last 20 minutes, but at the very end of the movie, he speaks up. He speaks up and tells people to, to join the resistance and to do anything they can to fight against tyranny. And he has a good line, oh, darling, you know, when I watched it, I know he had my coffee yet, so I should have recorded this. <laughs> uh, but uh, I know he had my coffee yet, so I don't do anything. Nah. But uh, anyway, he said something like... Uh, we mo- even though, you know, because they're telling they were in uh, Germany, and so any time uh, if the Germans caught them, they get punished, mm-hmm. you know, for the resistance. He said, even though we might get punished, he says, he says to resist means not to become slaves. That's right. So he was, he was, oh, he was so powerful, darling, and I wish I had written it down, and, uh, but I forget because I don't have my coffee. <laughs> but, uh, 
But, uh, you know, telling me it was such a good line, and it was about the standing up. And very end of the movie, he reads from, he, he reads from the American Constitution to his students. Uh-huh. And yeah. then they take him away, you know, because they don't like that. But he give, he plants the freedom in the minds of the younger peoples. Oh, that's nice. Oh, oh, so good. So, so that made me think of uh, this another Thomas Jefferson quote that I may have said before, but it's always good to uh, repeat. Okay. And then he says, uh, Thomas Jefferson, he said, all tyranny needs to gain a foothold is for people of good conscience to remain silent. And it's funny, I choose this because this is like the movie I watched. That's what uh, Charles Lawton was telling everybody, is, is, uh, is not remain silent. Because if you speak up, you get rid of the bad guys, the tyrants. All and, right. Uh, yes, darling. So last week, you know, we talked about the voting. Mm-hmm. You, yes. And I say, you know, I, t- I say, you know, whoever you vote for is uh, your business. Just be sure to vote. That's right. But I'd like to add one thing, darling. Okay. Vote with a good, uh, clear conscience. And uh, informed, uh, what's the expression I like? Make informed decisions. Ah. So no vote for somebody because they're cute, you know, mm. or, uh, or because uh, this network likes them more than this other network, you know. Uh, telling vote for them because, because telling, if you have a relationship with a God of your own understanding, you get to what you call the intuition, a, a sense uh, of what is right. Mm-hmm. And so listen to that inner voice, darling, about what feels right. Not what your mommy say, not what your daddy say, not what your husband say, not what your wife say, not what the TV say, or all those people, you know, with the talking heads on TV. Mm-hmm. Make informed decision about who is best to lead this country and who best expresses your own values. All right. That's some good stuff, Miss Anne. Oh, thank you, darling. I've been thinking about this all day. <laughs> Yes, darling. Well, thank you for that. Of course, darling. Anytime. Well, until next week, this is Mrs. M and Ken on the Black Man with a Gun podcast. Goodbye, darling. Goodbye, Mrs. M. Zombie Strike. This used to be an extreme sport watched by millions around the world. We hunted zombies on a man-made island in the South Pacific. Well, that was then. This is now. Part 10. Chapter 103. Odessa, Ukraine. 4 October 2011. 1300 hours local. Countdown. Two months, 27 days. Quentin McClintock dropped the empty magazine out of his pistol and quickly slammed another home. He hit the slide release and brought the pistol back up. Two rounds of 10mm brought the zombie down. It was just a bit too close. Seraph groaned in pain behind him. If Quentin didn't link back up with the rest of the team, she was going to bleed out, assuming he could survive the next few minutes. Matt, where are you guys? Quentin asked over the radio. The truth was obviously very annoyed with Zombie Strike for going after its close-held secrets. They'd pretty much cleared out Odessa's downtown and brought in hordes of zombies with minion controllers. Just to add fun, they also brought golems and a group of sorcerers. It was a golem's axe that was responsible for the nasty gash in Seraph's midsection. 
Maybe, if that vision hadn't sucked all of Zombie Strike in, they would have been prepared for the ambush. As it was, Quentin, Seraph, Sport, and Seraph's French agent, Mark, had been split off from the rest of the team. I have no clue, Mateo answered. Everything's in Cyrillic. We could be a block from you, we could be a mile. I hate these old cities. Quentin looked around him. His little team had found cover behind the wreckage of some construction equipment. The minion controlling the small horde in front of Quentin actually melted a bulldozer with a beam from his artifact. Unfortunately for him, the minion couldn't generate a blast that powerful and keep up a shield. Sports slug nearly decapitated the minion. Seraph's hurt bad, Quentin reported. He looked around. Matt, can you see that church spire about 50 feet up with the gilded cross? Looks brand new, Matt asked. Yeah, it's to my 10 o'clock, maybe a couple of hundred yards. Quentin consulted the map on the PDA strapped to his forearm and did some quick calculations. I think we're about six blocks west of you, Quentin said. Can you get to us? I don't want to move Seraph, if at possible. There was a moment of tense silence. Yeah, the chief thinks so. Hold up and see if you can think up an extract, Mateo answered. Quentin let out a breath he didn't realize he had been holding. He looked down at the beautiful woman. She looked so weak holding the blood-soaked bandage to her side. Mark, you and Sport keep that horde off of us, Quentin said. The Frenchman looked at Quentin with wide eyes. Are you mad? Mark asked. You want me to fight with the undead with this? He shook the Glock 17 Sport had handed him earlier. Quentin grabbed a man by the front of his shirt and lifted him off the ground. Yes, with that pistol, and when that runs out, either find another or pick up a stone to throw at them. You will fight them until you are dead. Do you understand me? Mark paled as his eyes locked onto Quentin's cold, dark eyes. The French agent swallowed hard and wordlessly nodded. Quentin released him and bent down to Seraph. Hold on, Seraph. Help's on the way. Quentin said quietly, stroking the woman's hair. She looked up and gave him a mirthless smile. You think even your pill pusher can fix this up? She asked every word, racking her form with pain. He's dealt with worse, Quentin said, trying to look confident. He looked down at his PDA. How were they supposed to get everyone out of this city? They had driven into the city in Seraph's huge, slightly armored SUV. From some pirated television signals, Quentin saw most of the downtown was flooded with groups of undead. They were trapped between the Black Sea and zombies. How were they going to get out? As he stared at the map, the solution smacked him in the face. Quentin, hold your fire, Mateo said, startling the big man out of his thoughts. We're coming up your back. Quentin looked up as Chief Stahl and the Steve trotted over from a building corner. Chief Stahl moved up to help Sport and Mark. The Steve's hands were already yanking all sorts of medical gear as he kneeled down next to Seraph. Got this, dude. Don't worry. The Steve will fix up your lady friend. Good. The Steve said, his trademark smile plastered on his face as he inspected the wound. 
to Steve, thumbed back to where the rest of the team was trotting up. Dude, the boss is going to need you to figure out how we're going to get out of here. Quentin nodded, unhappy about leaving Seraph. It was his fault that she was hurt. If he'd been faster taking down that golem, he would never have managed to get a piece of her. That didn't mean that Steve was wrong. Quentin got up and walked over to Mateo. You come up with a solution? Mateo asked, slinging his G-36. Maybe, Quentin said, holding up his PDA. The truck is parked in this garage about eight blocks north of us. A small team could get up there and get it. That's a pretty infested area, Mateo commented. What good's getting the truck going to do us? We're not going to be able to drive out of the city. No, but it will get us to the docks, Quentin said, highlighting some streets. Trying to go this way would be suicide on foot, but the truck with some shooters on the roof could make it. I checked the marina. A lot of boats left, but there are a couple of nice yachts and some speedboats. If we can get out into the Black Sea, we should be able to get some help from M&W. Mateo thought about it for a moment. Okay, take Jim, Jess, and Billy. Let Jim drive the truck and have Jess up on top with her rifle, Mateo said. Get in, get the truck, and get back. Don't waste time fighting unless you don't have a choice. Mateo motioned for Jess and the cowboy to join them. The large spirit wolf trotted happily behind Jess. Mateo filled them in on the plan and sent the team off. Jim took the lead. The cowboy was missing his normal rifle and revolvers, but he was handling an AK proficiently. Quentin came behind him with his Colt 10mm in one hand and a four-foot length of rebar in the other. Quentin understood Jim missing his normal weapons. Quentin really wanted his normal warhammer. They came across a hardware store. Quentin was going to get a sledge. Jess and Billy brought up the rear. Jess had her bolt gun slung and was holding her 1911 in a low ready. The quartet slinked through the streets. Mateo and the rest of the team was busy making as much noise as they could to draw as many of the undead to their position as possible. Even two blocks over, Quentin could hear the gunfire and explosions. Quentin didn't know how Mateo's group was blowing stuff up, and he wasn't sure he wanted to. It was doing the trick. The small alleys were deserted as they made their way north to the truck. They'd gone about halfway to the garage when the alley they were using suddenly opened into a small courtyard that had been converted to a parking lot. In the center of the courtyard were four truth sorcerers chanting around what looked like a small version of the stone table the truth used back in Wyoming a year or so ago. Billy growled as he stepped into view. Well, as I live and breathe, how did you manage to find me, Nate? Asked one of the sorcerers. The sorcerer turned around and pulled off his elaborate gold and feather Aztec headdress. Quentin stared into the scarred visage of Allah, the truth's lead sorcerer. Just lucky, I guess, Jim answered congenially. The tall cowboy slung his assault rifle and cracked his knuckles. There's a couple of things you need to know, below, Alan. Oh, what? Asked the sorcerer, clearly intrigued. The other three sorcerers were taking up positions behind their leaders. First, I just go by Jim these days. I put Nate behind me, Jim said. 
Sad, but understandable. I take it things didn't work out with her, Alan asked, looking sincerely compassionate to his one-time friend and now enemy. What's the second thing, Jim? I aim to end you here and now. The courtyard crackled with electricity as the battle began. Hey, my friend from Codabo.com, makers of fine crossbows, sent me this article from Guns and Ammo magazine about zombies. Research has shown that mankind is not completely prepared for the zombie apocalypse. So in order to prepare you and your family, here's a list of 10 zombie facts you might not have thought about. Number one, you can't drown them. They're dead, right? So drowning them or trying to is a waste of time. I don't know if they will simply walk along the bottom of a lake, river, or moat, or lurch up from the other side, but being underwater isn't going to be a solution. Besides, who wants to risk a lake full of zombie carp? Number two, they can still react. Not think, really, but they can see here and until the rot reaches their nasal cavities, smell. So you can't hide yourself in your location by simply stretching a tarp over an otherwise open window or doorway. You're going to have to do better than that. They're dead, not inert. Number three, it's not just an infection. Before the surge in zombie research, there was one commonly accepted origin of zombies, voodoo. So the next time you're thinking of booking a cruise that stops in ports where voodoo is commonly accepted practice, think again. Number four, there are no pack zombies. With no real social order, zombies don't travel in packs. However, what catches the eye of one zombie is likely to ensnare the attention of the next one along too. So where there's one, there's probably more. They just aren't there together. Number five, endo or exo. That is, are zombies endothermic or exothermic? For those who slept through the tech classes in school, do they generate heat? Simple answer, no, they're undead. Well, most are. The viral zombies, the fast movers who are amped up corpses, have to be exothermic. But the shufflers are endothermic. So in a cold snap, the shufflers are going to shuffle slower and slower until they freeze. Of course, at the next thaw. Meanwhile, the fast movers will move a bit slower, but still move quickly. Number six, they're zombies, not terminators. While a zombie can terminate you, they aren't unstoppable death-dealing machines. Keep that in mind while you're being stalked by a shuffler or you spot a fast mover reacting to your presence. Stay calm and keep the mind, or keep in mind the next fact. Number seven. The head is the goal, but there are ways to get there. Since zombies don't have firearms, they have to reach you to infect you. That means that if you remove the means of locomotion, you can run or reload. So, with a stout enough cartridge, you can take a pelvic or thigh bone shot, drop them to the ground, and finish them off as they pull themselves towards you. And remember, they aren't going to stop. Number eight, fire is bad. Yes, unlike drowning, Fire will kill a zombie, but that's the meager good news. The bad news is you won't notice being on fire. They're dead. How many times do I have to repeat that? So it will simply spread the fire everywhere they shamble. So put down that Molotov cocktail. Number nine, the idea of zombies. They entered our awareness 
with that word in 1929. No, they entered our awareness with that word in 1929 in a novel. That same year, the stock market crashed and the Great Depression began. Hmm, coincidence? I'll let you decide on that one. And number 10, not all zombies, or not all undead are zombies. There we go. Fans of Buffy will be aware of that. There are more deadness walking the earth than just zombies. Vampires are dead. Mummies are dead. A lot of 401ks are dead. And I know at least one dead Plymouth Fury that still moves. They all need something different to kill them. And if you get it wrong, you're toast. Or a zombie vampire movie of the week star. So there you go. 10 things you might not have known, forgotten, or just didn't care about. So get back to reading the CDC reports on viral outbreaks and avoiding people with really hacking coughs. On this, the Halloween edition of the Black Man with a Gun podcast. All right, that means it's time to go. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man with a Gun podcast sponsored by CrossbreedHolsters.com. If you want to reach me for anything at all, you can contact me at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com or call me at 888-675-0202. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. sunshine warm upon your face the rains fall soft upon your fields and until we meet again may god hold you in the hollow of his hand shalom baby happy halloween everybody Ha, 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 ha.